Well, again, good morning, everybody. And uh, if you were part of the 1102 service and not the 1033 service, my name is Rob Chestnut, and I'm one of the pastors on staff, and Pastor Steve's out this week, so I get to fill in, which is a lot of fun. And uh, if you're new and you haven't been a part of what's going on with 360, we've been in the midst of this series called Imagine. And we're talking about what God is doing in and through us, what he is allowing us to imagine and to see. And, you know, when we've talked about these different aspects of imagination kind of time and again, and and this week I wanted to look at this, this one side of the actual imagination and imagining itself. Because I think we've talked about kind of the concept of it, but we haven't actually said, hey, what is it to imagine? What is it to engage your imagination uh, in regards to what God has for us. Now, so for me, it's, it's this idea of what it is to see through our imagination. Now, for some of you, maybe this, is, this sounds kind of weird. It's more like, okay, are we like, going to be telling the future this morning or some kind of divination or crystal balls or something along that line? And the answer is yes. That's exactly where we're going for. Um, <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. In fact, it was hysterical. All this week as I'm trying to, like, I, I had this kind of angle and as I'm trying to figure out these different pieces of it, almost every single article I came across was just like, the imagination is a terrible thing. You know, the heart of man is wicked above all else. You know, the, the thoughts of men, you know, Jesus said, if you, you think about killing someone, you've done it. I mean, it was just all this imagination stuff was like, no, 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 wrong, 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 bad, bad, bad. And that's not the avenue I want to come with this morning because actually I feel that God gives us the ability to see through our imagination. You know, and, and there's this, this value in this because this scripture is full of these examples and illustrations. The Bible is from page to page. There's all these different ways of communicating what God is trying to get across to us and he does it through different methods. And one of this way is to, I feel, engage our imagination in a way that maybe we don't. Because for a lot of us, you think about that idea of, you know, in John, in the beginning was the word and the word was God and with God. And that word in the literal sense of, yes, being Christ, but then also that literal word, word itself. Because you think about this, God spoke the universe into existence. He interacted with his people. He talked to them through the prophets and through the scribes and throughout the years. And Jesus communicated to people through words and language. And this word and language was incredibly important because this is how society existed. In fact, as long as we've been alive and as long as we've been talking, we have been sharing stories and ideas and these different pieces. And we have been able to imagine things through the words of others. And, you know, so... How about this? Let me show you. Picture an ocean. Picture an ocean. What do you see right now? You can, you can answer. It's safe. I give you permission to say things. Waves, water, sand, dolphins. Awesome. Yes. Like all these. Now here's what's crazy. Okay. I asked you all to picture an ocean and every single one of you is thinking about an ocean, but it's vastly different from the person you're sitting next to. No two people are having the exact same thought right now. And in your mind, yes, we are not at an ocean in any capacity. I know we have a baptismal, but that's not it. Uh, But you know, you you are thinking of something in particular. But if I were to say to you, picture an ocean and do this, Well, now what are you thinking about? You're looking at that. 
your imagination just got stifled because the visual, while good and great, but it limits your ability to actually picture in your mind's eye, as we say, what is going on. So, and, and, and here's the reality of it. We live in a visual age. We have moved from a storytelling information based by word society to a visual society. You watch television, commercials, information, magazines, you know, picture books, all right? Or, you know, how many things, I mean, Instagram thrives on sharing images because that's what we want to get across. Because you imagine if there was like the written Instagram, like this sandwich is incredible. It moved me to great things, post, you know, oh, that's Facebook. Wait, no, that doesn't work either. No, like you need that visual. We're in a visual age. And in fact, in, in 1985, 1985, a guy by the name of Neil Postman wrote a book called Amusing Ourselves to Death. And he stated that the problem was we're shifting into such a visual age, we're shifting into this visual medium that it's stifling our ability to imagine and see things of our own creativity. And this was in 1985, he was saying we're slipping away from it. Look where we are now. How many of you back in 1985 or maybe even just a handful of years ago were able to remember upwards of like 40 to 50 telephone numbers, right? I mean, you had this Rolodex in your brain. You could go through everybody in your family and just spin them off. And now, you know, if you were in a car accident and you lost your phone and like, sir, we need to call your wife. <laughs> okay, well, I know it's 941. Uh, oh, give me a minute. Uh, there's number, oh boy. Like, like you know, we, we've lost this ability. We, our, our minds are changed because of the way in which we interact with things now. You know, it's, it's almost that same, uh, like, you know when you read a book and then you go to the movie of the book? What is that like? Uh, thank you for the sound effects. Yeah, it's, it's nothing you really want to be engaged with. In fact, for me, my absolute most favorite book in the world is The Lord of the Rings, okay? All right, kids, let's just calm it down over there, all right? And now, you know, the Bible is in its own category, all right? I'm not some heathen or something along this line, but I'm like... If, if I had to choose, for me, like, I read The Lord of the Rings every year for, like, seven years, like, back in high school and a little before that. And, I mean, I've got the genealogies. I read The Silmarillion. I, I mean, I've gone up one side to the next. I didn't have a lot of friends. And, uh, no, I'm just kidding. But uh, for me, like, to escape into this world, Tolkien crafted this unbelievable thing. And to me, it reads as this combination of fantasy and history. And it's so real in the level of detail. I just love it. And so when the movies were coming out, it was a very, very big deal for me, okay? Peter Jackson had a lot riding on my happiness. And um, he was unaware of it at the time. But when the first one came out, The Fellowship of the Ring, it was like he went into my brain and stole all of my thoughts. I was shocked. I mean, these images and things on screen was just like, yes! Oh, it was so fulfilling. But for me, all I wanted to see, my most favorite part of the entire trilogy, just one little moment in Return of the King. It's the standoff, it's the standoff between Gandalf and the Witch King. So, Got to set the stage for everybody, okay? For those of you who have no idea what I'm talking about, it's when the bad guy meets the good guy, okay? We'll just go with that and you can explain it later. But so the city is besieged. Things are going very, very bad. They're running down to the bare bones and the enemy breaks through the gates. They break through the gates and this is how it reads. And so I want you all to listen and just imagine 
In rode the lord of the Nazgul, a great black shape against the fires beyond. He loomed up, grown to a vast menace of despair. In rode the lord of the Nazgul under the archway that no enemy ever yet had passed, and all fled before his face, all save one. There, waiting silent and still in the space before the gate, sat Gandalf upon Shadowfax. You cannot enter here, said Gandalf, and the huge shadow halted. Go back to the abyss prepared for you. Go back. Fall into the nothingness that awaits you and your master. Go. And the black rider flung back his hood, and behold, he had a kingly crown, and yet upon no head visible was it set. The red fire shorn between it and the mantled shoulders vast and dark and from a mouth unseen there came a deadly laughter. Old fool, he said, old fool, this is my hour. Do you not know death when you see it? Die now and curse in vain. And with that he lifted high his sword and flames ran down the blade and Gandalf did not move. And in that very moment, Away behind in some courtyard of the city, a cock crowed. Shrill and clear, he crowed, reckoning nothing of wizardry or war, welcoming only the morning that in the sky far above the shadows of death was coming with the dawn. And as if in answer there came from far away another note, horns, Horns, horns in dark Mendolian side, they dimly echoed, great horns of the north wildly blowing. Rohan had come at last. When all is lost and hope is fading, the reinforcements arrive and they come in such great, like it just, oh, goosebumps. Ah. And so for this scene in the movie, it was like, yes, this is all I've been waiting for. Like my entire life was culminating for this scene. And this is what we get. Go back to the abyss. Fall into the nothingness that awaits you and your master. Do you not know death when you see it, old man? This is my power. the heck was that are you kidding me that's even on the extended edition it wasn't even in the film itself the one that played in the theater i was so unbelievably crushed and disappointed and look at the distance between the two of them because when you hear and you imagine and you step in and you engage that part of your brain as you listen to stories, it just spins and goes. And maybe even if you aren't into fantasy or anything along that line, you still can resonate with what's going on. But then when you watch it on the screen, it's just like, well, yep, yeah, that was it. 
awesome. Where's the bird? No bird. Why'd he fall off the horse? His staff didn't explode. I hate this. You know, I mean, it was just, and don't even get me started on the Hobbit. It's like, ugh, ugh. But what's crazy too is actually that our brains are even wired to engage in this type of imagination. We are made to have these moments and we, were, we respond better to the written word than in the visual. In fact, if, if, if we were to you know, remove a, a brain right now, you got the two halves and you got the back part and right underneath in the middle of it all is something called the hippocampus. And the hippocampus is essentially your RAM, your random access memory, and it's also your memory maker. It is the thing by which your brain is able to sort and arrange and siphon and filter through all of the information that's there so that when I say to you, picture an ocean, your hippocampus goes into full swing. Because think about this, your brain has recorded and documented every single second of your life. Every, everything you've ever touched, felt, smelled, bumped into, whatever, it's all up there. If there was no filter, if there was nothing to sort through all that information, it would just be like an unbelievable kind of overload. We wouldn't be able to function at all. That's why that thing is in place. And yet when I tell you picture an ocean, your hippocampus is going through all of the experiences and all of the data that corresponds with oceans in order to picture that ocean. Everything you've ever smelt, everything you've ever tasted, the, the texture of the water, the way in which it moved, the sand in your toes, the sensations you felt, it is going through all of that stuff and then in your mind's eye, in a split second, boom, you've got an ocean. Wow. So our imagination is something that God wants us to engage. He's built it into us. It's a part of who we are. And if we just simply, again, rely on the visual, if we just, we don't engage and work that muscle, we're gonna miss out on so much because the ocean in your mind is way better than the ocean on that picture. And yet each and every one of you has a different one going on at the same time. I mean, even as we were singing the songs this morning, like, you know, then through the woods and forest glades, I wander. Are you, are you hearing that? Are you seeing that in your mind? Or are you just saying the words? And this is the reality of when we come in contact with scripture, because as Hebrews says, uh, Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joint and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This is God-breathed. It is inspired. And the reason we say it's living and active is because the verse that I read when I was six and the verse that I read when I was 36 might be the exact same, but the way in which it speaks to me in both times is vastly different. And the word is there in order to change, and it doesn't literally change, but it changes to me in the way in which God needs it to change for me in order to understand what he wants to communicate to me. And he does that through parables, through Proverbs, through the Psalms, through his teachings that are in here. And they're all full of different types of illustrations and images to help us imagine and understand what's really in here. I had a friend just the other week really kind of put my feet to the fire because, you know, growing up a pastor's kid, I, I've got all the Bible stories down. I mean, all of them, literally, from flannel graph to puppet and everything else in between, okay? I mean, I've, I've heard them all. I've got them all taken care of. And so for me, sometimes to read this, it's, it's a bit of a bore. It's, it's not really going where I want it to go. And he, he comes to me and he says, Rob, so I have a question for you. What is the word of God? What is scripture to you? I said, well, scripture is, it's God breathed. It's living and active. He's like, yeah, nice answer, Sunday school. What is it really? 
He goes, are you actively engaging in this thing that is changing your life that you see yourself within the pages of it or are you just reading a book? And that one stung because sometimes I am just reading a book and I'm missing out what's here. And I think for some of us, sometimes we are just reading a book because we just need to get through it because that's what we were told and it's what we're supposed to do. And we are not engaging in the active living word of God. And so today I wanna take a little bit of time to unpack some different sections and say, there's a lot more there than you realize. And it's gonna require your imagination in order to see it, in order to see it. So. Let's jump to the Proverbs. That's a great place to start and see what we can find. Everybody, let's go to Proverbs 1, verses 20 and 21. You can click or turn, flip or page or whatever, but we'll also have it up on the screen so you can see it. But remember, if you're looking at it on the screen, you've missed the whole point of this message already, okay? So just everyone close your eyes and listen. Or maybe, yeah, you can. It might be helpful. All right, Proverbs 1, 20 to 21. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. Are you seeing this? Maybe the question is, what are you seeing? Are you just reading through the text? Or can you picture this in your mind? Can you picture the crowded market? Can you picture a busy street? And can you see someone at the head of it trying to yell out? Have you ever been in one of those situations maybe where somebody just kind of calls out for no reason in the middle of a room? Hey. <laughs> <clears throat> can we do that one more time? Hey. <sighs> okay, Max, could you yell for me instead? Hey. Oh. Okay, well, if you ever get lost from these two, they are not going to be the ones to help find you, all right? Hey, thank you. But, you know, it was funny. We did it first service. I had one of the guys yell over on the side, and everybody just goes, Pfft. I mean, they all look. And that's the thing. If you've ever been in that position, you know, you're in a mall, you're in a store, and if somebody just goes, hey, you know, you, you all look. Because we're called into this thing. This is what this passage is saying, because wisdom itself in this figurative version because the market is busy. The market is the world. It's where all the transactions, it's where all the world, the life was happening for villagers and whatnot. And Solomon, the writer of this, is saying that wisdom in the midst of all of this is trying to get your attention. It's trying to get you to see above all of the din and everything else that's taking place. And that's why we want to picture in our minds someone in this busy market going, hey, over here, I'm here. This isn't a street preacher who's standing on the edge yelling at everybody. It's someone who's trying to get your attention because they want to draw you close. They want you to go to where they are. And this is what these words are saying to us. Are you seeing this or are you just reading it? Let's look at another one. Proverbs 13, verse nine. The light of the righteous rejoices, but the lamp of the wicked will be put out. The light of the righteous rejoices, but the lamp of the wicked will be put out. So let me ask this question of, can you see it? Can you see this light of the righteous? 
And what does it mean? It's rejoicing. What, what, what is this, what's going on in this thing? We've got light, we've got lamps, all right, we're, we're dealing with, with illumination of some sort, but light is representative in the Bible of multiple things. It's, it's the place where God dwells in terms of illustrations. It's, it's an openness, it's, it's, it's happiness, it's joy. It's also an understanding at times. And so I think if we're, we're looking in Proverbs, we're probably gonna be looking at the idea of understanding. And so the understanding of the righteous rejoices. But think again, a little bit clearer about what is light itself. It's the fastest or one of the fastest traveling things in the known universe. It's not really contained by any sense. It goes in all directions. It, it warms the soul. It, it, it brings you something. It, it brings about life. It does all these different pieces. And so again, it's not just this simple little statement, but it's more coming out here. The righteous man, the understanding of it is going all over. It's covering all these different pieces. It's hitting all different people and that is bringing about rejoicing of the individual because they're in a different place than others would be, much like this wicked. And now here's, here's my question again of what is the lamp that you're envisioning? Are you even envisioning a lamp? Are you seeing something that looks like, you know, one of those um, clay things with oil and you got a wick on one end? Or maybe you've got an actual lamp in your mind. You've got to turn on and off or you've got one of these things going full blown. But the reality is regardless, the lamp itself, what other form you put it in, is the actual containment. It is a vessel by which it is constrained by certain things like, you know, if, if you know, this little light of mine, boom, Done. Okay, like you can blow it out. If it runs out of fuel, it's not gonna work anymore. If I unplug a lamp, it's not gonna work anymore. They are limited and they are able to be snuffed out. So it's not dealing with the understanding again, but this is actually dealing with the life of a wicked person. This is dealing with them as the vessel can be snuffed out. But again, these illustrations are used to draw out different meaning for you to see it in a different way because we want to engage with the imagination that God has given us. I want you to be able to see what is happening here. Now let's skip ahead to the parables because the parables are the ones that really like bring out the stories and we love to tell them in particular. So, and what's really kind of crazy is when you think about it is that these parables as told by Jesus are these common everyday random occurrences, things that were so uh, regular to the people back then that they speak to us even now. Thousands of years later, we're still dealing and reading these parables and gleaning information from them because the problems that they had back then are pretty similar to the problems we're having right now. Nothing has changed that much, and so these stories become timeless. And I think that's kind of a wild thing when we stop and think about it. So let's go to Luke 15. We can turn to Luke 15, verses 8 through 10. And again, I want you, this one in particular, because the parables speak to it a lot more, but picture, imagine, see what this text is saying. Or what woman, having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So, let me ask this question. What are you seeing in this? Can you see it? What does this woman look like to you? 
Does it look like your sister or someone you know or a mother or a grandmother? Mine always defaults to a grandmother. I don't know why, but it defaults to a grandmother for some reason. And you know, this coin, this silver coin she's looking for, that's a day's wages, okay? So I don't know how we'd have like a day's wages hidden around someplace, but can you put yourself in this position? I mean, can you see the sudden just like, well, it was over here and then I, hang on a second. It's maybe, okay, no, it's not there. I mean, how many of us have lost something and you have turned the house over five times trying to find it, okay? Yes, how many of you, maybe it even happened today, all right? Or this past week trying to locate that thing. I remember losing my keys recently and going, driving to the different locations with my wife's keys, obviously, but going to the place that I was being like, it's, it's gotta be here. I mean, rummaging around in an empty parking lot, you know, and you always get that person that's like, what's that guy doing? But um, you know, we, we, had a, we had a bit of a tragedy in the Chestnut household a number of months back. We lost three Lego figures. Yes, yes. Two stormtroopers and Admiral Akbar. It is a heavy blow to um, someone in the house. Uh, me. And... Um, <laughs> And so, you know, again, you're, you're going through, you're trying to find out where they were and, you know, you're, you're looking through here and you're looking there. I mean, we turned the house over one side to the next and it was that stage where Adria loved to just throw things in the trash and we figured like, they're gone. Oh, they're gone, rats. You know, but I mean, it's stuff. Well, it's, it's no big deal. It's, it's not that big of a deal. But we looked intently and I probably looked a little too intently for a number of days after I made that statement as well. Just like, honey, it's fine. There are things we can always get more later. Maybe it's under here. What has that kid done with those blasted things? And uh, a number, and, and so months go by, months go by. I'm not still looking for months, by the way, but months go by and suddenly Audrey sends me this one text message and it's just a picture and it's the three Lego guys that she had found like in a bag behind a dresser that one of the girls had put there. And I was so excited. I literally called my brother to tell him. I'm not kidding. And it was one of those things because he has a son with Legos and they play with Legos all the time. I'm like, dude, we found the stormtroopers. We found them. And he's like, what are you talking about? Uh, I was like, no, remember I told you a few months back I lost. He's like, Rob, no, I do not. I do not keep track of your toys and you losing your toys. I'm a grown up. I'm going back to work now, but thanks. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. So, but you know, we lose things and then, but when we find them, there is this instinct within us. We want to go tell people automatically. I mean, it's just something about like, it's here. I found it. Oh, thank goodness. And that relief, that sensation you get, do you realize that's what the angels are feeling in heaven when someone turns to God? And can you imagine that picture? In your mind, are you seeing those things? This is not just some story, but this is happening. This is life. This is actually taking place. And God wants you to work that muscle to see it for yourself so this can become living and active. Let's look at another one. This one's a little bit longer, the, the parable of the laborers in the vineyard. And so this is in Matthew 20, verses one through 16. And again, just listen, imagine, picture this one. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. And going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. 
And about the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. So he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last and up to the first. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house saying, these last worked only one hour and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Can you see this? Can you picture this image? Working in a field, going in first six o'clock in the morning most likely and working all day, and then, you know, some new people come in at nine. And then some more people come in at 12. And then some people come in at three. And then some people come in at five. And then when it comes time to get paid, you go up, you stand before the guy, and the dude that just got here is going to get the same that you did. And you were working all day long and you were sweating outside. I mean, imagine working outside from six in the morning until five in the afternoon in Sarasota at uh, a, um, a palm tree vineyard or something like this. I'm sure we have them. Um, I mean, it's, it's this unbelievable labor and work. You've sweated, you've put all your effort into this and the guy who just showed up is gonna get paid the same amount that you did? Or are you picturing yourself as the guy who just showed up? I like that one. That's my deal. It's like, yes, sir, one hour. Well, thanks, uh, quitting time. What's the uh, requirement break, I think? Yeah, so, uh, I mean, are you imagining this? Are you seeing this illustration in your mind? And it's not just some pretty image. It's God actually showing us his grace in action. Because those of us who arrived at the dead last moment and those of us who have had skin in the game since the very beginning, when we get to heaven, guess what? The field's leveled. All right? His grace covers all. His unfair mercy and justice that we don't comprehend makes sense within the light of this. But if you're not allowing yourself to really see, feel, and experience it in that way, you're missing out. You're not seeing what he wants you to see. Now, I want to look at a couple of the teachings of Jesus as well, because he does the same thing too, not so much in parable form, but then giving illustrations in the same way that we as pastors find ourselves in the same position of, you want to draw out that information and show it in a different way. But if you don't really listen, if you don't see what he's getting at here, you're going to miss out on the point. So let's go to Luke 12, verses 22 through 27. And he said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? 
And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? And consider the lily, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. So again, can you see it? Can you imagine this? Are you looking at it? Are you engaging that muscle? Are you seeing birds hopping around, maybe in your yard, poking holes and doing whatnot, or getting a worm or something along this line, and thinking about the fact that birds, who are dumb animals, if we're going to be totally honest, they, they don't put any effort into what they're doing, and yet they are cared for. They are fed. They have homes. They're not storing up, and God is taking care of them. And if God is looking after these birds that fly all over your house, or maybe, like I said, are digging up your property or whatever, if God is putting care into them, how much more is he caring for you? And then that last one in particular, consider the lilies. How many of us have gone to Publix, we've just got some flowers, we put them on the belt, we pay for them, we take them home, we stick them in some water, and we wait until they die, Right? But how many of you have stopped and looked and thought that this flower, which has just only done what God has made it to do, is more perfect and pristine than anything that Solomon, who was the wisest, most powerful, rich man who ever lived, was able to dress in? And I don't know what you imagine when you think of Solomon. Maybe you've got some big beard, some big purple robe. He's got rings on his fingers. He's blinged out like up one side and the next, okay? He's just got like gold up one side or, you know, and, and it's all the frills and whatnot. I, I think he probably had frills. You know, like what, what are, those, what are the, like those jackets, those cowboy jackets and stuff? Like with the, the fringe. Solomon had lots of fringe. I think he had lots of fringe. And probably, you know, like big like gold things in his beard or something like this, I imagine. But again, see, here's this image. If you can't put that into your mind, if you're not able to wrap your head around that, you're missing out on it, and you're missing out on the simplicity that's right in front of you, and yet God is saying, no, there's so much more to these everyday things around us. That's why he's using these illustrations. Let's look at another one in Matthew chapter 7. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits." So what are we seeing here? What do we have? We've got lots of imagery in this one. We've got wolves. We've got sheep's clothing. We've got false prophets. There's lots of fruit to choose from. There's trees. There's all these different images that come into play. And to be totally honest, when I read that opening part, in my mind, beware the false prophets, the wolves in sheep's clothing, I automatically go to Wile E. Coyote. I mean, I just, it's, it's an automatic thing. I'm thinking of those Disney cartoons or something, you know, where they, they put it on and they just kind of, you know, and they sneak up and whatnot. Because I've never actually seen a wolf put on sheep's clothing, uh, except in cartoon form. But this idea of a diseased tree, can, can, you, can you wrap your head around that one? Have you seen a diseased tree? This actually hit home a lot more for me because I have one in my yard. I've got this diseased fruit tree in the back, and we had uh, Jay Fraley, who's a farmer, uh, came or was a farmer, came and checked it out, and in good old Jay fashion, he just looks at it and goes, 
yep, son, you got the green, so it's going to have to go. Maybe not now, but maybe not tomorrow, but it's going to have to go. He's essentially saying this fruit tree is not going anywhere. And so when I read this image of, uh, uh, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit, I see in my mind the curled leaves, the gnarled branches, the spots that go up the trunk. And I see the fruit that this thing tries to produce. And it's these shriveled, nasty looking grapefruit things that nobody would want to touch. And so here's the reality, folks, is that we have been given an imagination. God has given us these images in our brains so that when we see this and we read this, we can connect to it in a different way than just simply going, all right, I'm covering the disease tree, healthy tree, blah, 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 bad fruit, whatever. Because this hits home in a different way. The visual is part one, but part two is recognizing that this gnarled, nasty tree that has nothing to give, I'm in that position, because I'm in the place where I could potentially be a false prophet. You know, if I'm teaching and preaching, I have to be aware of what is coming out of me and what type of tree I am to the people who are picking fruit off of it. These images are designed for you to imagine, to see so much more of what God has for you. This is how he made you, and this is how I want you to see, because this book is not a book. This is the living, active word of God that is changing and moving and working within you if you let it and you read it in the way you need to and you listen to what it says. So how do we work this muscle a little bit more? How do we put more effort into this? How do we work on that imagination? Well, the first thing I would say is I would meditate on Scripture. And this is not like, you know, looking at it and going like, hmm, kind of thing. But when we talk about meditating on scripture, it's saying, take a passage, take whatever you're choosing to read in your own given time and read it again and again and again and again and again and keep going. Friend of mine, uh, we've been reading First and Second Timothy together over and over and over and over and over again, probably reading it about 15 times a week. Just, you know, as soon as we get to the end, we go back to the beginning and we start all over again. And what happens is when you meditate on the word, you begin to pull out different things. You begin to see stuff as your brain becomes comfortable with what's going on. And what you read the first time is different from what you read the fifth time because there's something else in there because your mind is working at it in a way that you are not expecting because you're working that imagination muscle. You're seeing things differently. And this is what God has for you. The next thing I would say is go online, get some tools. There's so much information available to help you dig into scripture in ways that maybe you didn't recognize. You can go and find the original words in the original language. I mean, Bible software is awesome, okay? If I didn't have that, Sundays would be like this. Okay, JC, could you read uh, Job 1 through 40 and just, I'll tell you when to stop when we run out of time. Like, you know, I mean, you're able to pull out so much information. There are resources that are all over the place from actual commentaries to go on YouTube and look up drone video of the Holy Land. I'm serious. You can go and look stuff up and then you can see like, okay, this is what Philippi Caesarea looks like. This is what the Sea of Galilee looks like. These are the roads that Jesus walked. I mean, there's, there's resources like, uh, so here, this is something pretty cool that I got to experience once because I haven't been to the Holy Land, but this is the Ishtar Gate is what it's called. This is at a museum in Berlin, but this is what Daniel and Ezekiel walked through when they went to Babylon. This is the actual gate itself that they were able to take apart. They moved it up there and they pieced it back together again. So you're able to see now in your mind's eye when you go and read Daniel or you read about the exiles who go to Babylon, this is what they passed through. 
And if you go and look up images of the temple or the tabernacle or the different places that they were, scripture will come alive in a way you never imagined. And this is what we want, is to be able to see so much more so that this word may be living and active within us and that we would be able to see what God wants us to see. Let's pray. Father, I thank you again that this is not a book. This is not just some random text, but this is your living word. This is you speaking to us now. And Father, as we read, as we listen, may we imagine more than we currently are. May we see through our mind's eye with the abilities that you've given us to glean this knowledge, to see what it is and who you would have us be. I thank you, Father, for this creation. I thank you, Lord, for your message to us that is alive and present with us even today. May we see in ways we never thought possible. In Jesus' name, amen.